Dear friends, today we have another opportunity to talk to a good friend, Matthew Eret, investigative journalist, historian, everybody wants to hear what he has to say because he does this, uh, he does great research. Um, so that's what we all appreciate him for, plus his humor. So let's, let's go with the flow, as we said before the recording. There are a few things that uh, we need to talk about because obviously right now everybody's talking about the BRICS countries and how this could be a move from a unilateral world, uh, maybe through a multilateral world, or maybe it's just a transition, we don't know. But there are a lot of things that people are worried about. On the one hand, they think, hmm, this could be a way out. On the other hand, they think, oh, maybe it's good cop, bad cop. It's the old game they're playing. They're all, they're all in on the Great Reset. So let's start with that, Matthew. Yeah, thank you, Reiner. And hello, Dagmar, as well. I thank you guys for uh, for setting up this little platform in this conversation. I, I think that that's a great place to start. Um, I think based on my analysis thus far, um, having done, and for those who don't know, um, I'm the editor of the Canadian Patriot magazine and online platform I set up in 2012, uh, the co-founder with my wife, Cynthia, of the Rise and Tide Foundation. And I've written a few books on Canadian history, the untold history of Canada, as well as the clash of the two Americas, in order to sort of give a, paint a better or reconstruct a better story or understanding of what is what caused such exceptional developments in world history like 1776 the declaration of independence the success of that battle led by a, a small group of farmers in in the colonies the offshoots you know of the world around the british empire against the world's biggest military power and economic banking power and the purpose that i i wanted to that i had in my mind was to give people a sense of how today's fight is exactly the same as the fight fought by the founding fathers of america which Canada, unfortunately, failed to accept the challenge of Ben Franklin to join as the 14th colony that, that could have said together, we will, we will declare independence and create a new type of society for the world um, based upon the idea that everybody is free, that, that rights are inalienable, right? Based on our common heritage as human beings made in the image of a creator, that is the source of law. It's not because a monarch or her, uh, some hereditary elite gave us uh, rights that we have them. We, we, they are there because we are human. And that, that was enshrined in a legal document, in several legal documents, in the Constitution. And that consent of the governed is the basis of the authority of law. It's not through, again, the imposition by a hereditary elite that, that law has power. So Canada failed to accept that challenge. We remained... Um, enshrined within the British Empire. And just like it was back then, so today we have the city of London still as the world financial center, the pivot of global finance, drugs, narcotic, money laundering, their operations in America. Um, I document pretty thoroughly our Wall Street, the which is not a native, it's not a, a, an authentically American institution. When you go to the origins of Wall Street, the origins of J.P. Morgan, the Bank of Manhattan, a lot of these things, they actually are a British-run fifth column inside of America from the 1790s, even before that, often overlapping with many Freemasonic organizations like the Scottish Rite, which is sort of a junior branch of the United Grand Lodge of Britain, much older, dominant, controlling branch. But the Scottish Rite was there um, for the last 240 years, influencing a lot of evil from within, overseeing the murder of many of the presidents. And in fact, 
many of those leaders, um, I would say even every president who died while in office was resisting in very similar ways, not all the exact same, this international financier oligarchy. And the last thing I'll say before getting at this question on the BRICS and is it a controlled opposition or not, is that looking at not just the origins of America, but every single leader, and I'm here talking about um, every single leader of America who died while in office. And I and here we can talk about William Harrison, Zachary Taylor, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Garfield, President Garfield, who was murdered in 1880, or we can look at McKinley, who was murdered in 1901, or Warren Harding, or Franklin Roosevelt, who died under very mysterious circumstances in 1945 April, or John F. Kennedy, or his brother, or Martin Luther King. If you look at all of these these figures, they're all working not just to purge the U.S. of its deep state, which again, they're but they're also on an international level working to build relationships with other nations based upon mutual coexistence and brotherhood. Um, so the idea of win-win cooperation and the, the concept that value must be tied to what do you create for the future. So it's a very different idea from the sort of idea of economic value that we have since especially the age of 1971 when the U.S. dollar became tied to more speculation, the petrodollar was created right under, overseen by people like Henry Kissinger, Sir Henry Kissinger, who was knighted by the Queen, as was George Bush uh, Sr. in 1992 for good works to the New World Order. These were both trial mission operatives with David Rockefeller, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who overtook the United States and transformed the U.S. from a pro-industrial power that was anti-imperial as represented by those names I just mentioned, to becoming um, a branch of sort of what you could consider the marcher lord for the British Empire, the weakened British Empire that had that had lost a lot of its its influence after the Frankenstein monster that it itself created in World War in the lead up to World War II, Hitler and the fascist machinery turned against its master to a certain degree, not to the degree that Hitler was good, but rather that he realized that with the military power that he had gained through the support of people like Prescott Bush, the, the Montague Norman faction of the uh, the Bank of England, the Bank of International Settlements, that he could be the senior partner in the New World Order instead of the junior partner as he was supposed to be. And he all of a sudden got certain, he, he listened to his generals and, and you know, uh, certain operatives in Britain were more than happy to go along with this new policy, like the king, the Nazi king of uh, of England or Neville Chamberlain. Others said, no, we, we cannot sacrifice our position as the, the hegemons, the senior controllers of the New World Order, of the depopulation agenda that Hitler also endorsed, the eugenics transhumanist ideology that Hitler also promoted as a pseudoscience to he, cleanse uh, the world Matthew, of the- did he Was he aware that he was following somebody else's agenda or were just his people? Like uh, his, was it the Secretary of Finance, Hjalmar Schacht, I think he was American or somehow related to, um, uh, to an American. Was Hitler himself aware that he was doing somebody else's bidding or, or not? Um, Hitler, I believe, was psychologically not smart enough to recognize how the game was played that he was supposed to be a part of, as is often the case with those who are cultivated through MK Ultra style operations to mm -hmm. develop a sort of messianic complex to then be 
incapable of self-reflection or self-examination of how they're being used by some higher force because they believe that they are the higher force. Um, we've yeah. seen this on on a multitude of levels from mm. synthetic creations from MKUltra. And I'll get back to my 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 key narrative. I, don't worry, I'm not going to lose track or go into segues too much, but I'll, mm. I'll always bring it back. Okay. Um, there are, for example, uh, smaller figures, um, Charles Manson, who mm. believed he had, he had a very messianic messianic complex, who was himself um, a product of the CIA MKUltra program. Yeah. Figures like L. Ron Hubbard, Aleister Crowley, who had their own messianic complex, except in their form, it was took the form of the the Antichrist that they believed that they embodied. And mm -hmm. L. Ron Hubbard did actually believe that and said so, that he believed he was the Antichrist um, as he was uh, founding his new synthetic cult, sci-fi cult, yeah. um, Scientology. His own son also testifies that black magic and occult, the only practice in the household, Scientology was itself a longer form of occult Satanism that just spanned out over a lifetime, so it was difficult to see. But Crowley did, and that was through the OT, uh, the Rites of Initiation. But Crowley, uh, sorry, uh, Hubbard and Crowley were together very closely with things like the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, um, which was um, a pseudo-Masonic cult that uh, was was organized by people like Theodore Royce much, much earlier on. And uh, Crowley played a big role in managing uh, Rudolf Hess even back before World War I. Um, Crowley was a, a, a British agent. Um, people who want to know more about this can read uh, Secret Six, uh, Crowley and British Intelligence. It's a very, very solid book. Mm -hmm. um, and he passed himself off as, he was, as if he were British Intelligence, and he, he played a big role in getting the German military to uh, sink the Lusitania. That was a uh, sort of an inside job, kind of like a, a Gulf of Tonkin or 9-11 before those things happened. That, that was one of the key incidents that was orchestrated by these occult British-directed operations um, that was needed to get the American people to support getting sucked into World War I. And that was Aleister Crowley even bragged in his later writings that he played a key role in uh, getting that message to the British high command because they believed he was a, a German. I said British the German high command because the Germans believe that he was one of them. Um, but all of these characters to get back to Hitler um, have a sort of messianic delusion of grandeur that, that allow them to be very useful. Obama is a more recent example of somebody who believes he's sort of like the Messiah figure, you know, so he's a very useful cult leader, except he's normalized. Um, in the case with Hitler, I I've seen persuasive evidence too that both Hitler and and uh, and Hess, who spent time together after the beer hall putsch in a in a prison, um, were before World War One in uh, Tavistock. Before the Tavistock clinic was set up, there was still similar sociological operations in the town of Tavistock, which was part of the Russell family. My wife Cynthia is uh, digging up a lot of incredible dirt on this for her next book. But um, Hitler had a, there's a, a famous watercolor painting of Hitler doing a self-portrait uh, at this time in 1912, sitting on a very specific bridge in uh, the town of Tavistock. Again, overseen by, it's, an, it's, a, it's an, a town that's been owned by the Russell family, the family of Bertrand Russell for hundreds of years. And he's got no face. He's sitting, the, the water under this particular bridge is blood. And um and it's a very strange painting, kind of well done, actually. And this bridge is such a specific bridge. It's unmistakable, rock for rock, for what the bridge is that's actually there today on the terrain, even though this information has been scrubbed. There, there is these anomalous 
material like this. So, so all this, that to say, no. so this is a fact because I was wondering in a, in mm. a recent interview um, we did. I asked about uh, was it really that MK Ultra is an invention of the Nazis or was it influenced by by the Tavistock Institute? Yeah. Now you're you're connecting them, and all of a sudden it makes sense. So there's real evidence that Hitler and Hess were there at the Tavistock yeah. Institute. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, and again, the, the Aleister Crowley angle is very important. And I think that uh, because it gets so weird, you know, when you start dealing with like, you can't avoid it. You, you can't avoid the Masonic occult aspect of intelligence operations and how that informs and shapes geopolitical decisions, wars and, and assassinations. You can't avoid it if you're honest, but a lot of people mentally don't know how to think about it because it is so weird. And so they stop their minds short mm -hmm. um, before bringing, bringing things like the, um, the Bureau for Psychical Research, which is a British directed bureau that was set up in the 1880s by very high level operatives, Lord Balfour, who, who was the creator of the Balfour Accords that established uh, what later became, you know, a, a, a Jewish nation in uh, the Middle East out of the British mandate Palestine that was carved out of it. Lord Balfour was a rampant anti-Semite. He despised the Jews. He was a devoted member, a leading co-founder of the, the, the Bureau for Psychical Research of Britain, out of which the Fabian Society emerged. You had leading Fabians, founding Fabians who were members of this, this bureau it overlapped with the Ascona Lodge and other forms of occult networks that were operating very heavily in Switzerland. Um, a lot of lot of anarchist Freemasonic networks that were utilized uh, to murder uh, leaders like, you know, Tsar Alexander II or McKinley or Garfield, the presidents of America or, or Russia or, or many more. Um, a lot of these were all protected by London. That's where the, the 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 international anarchist terrorist cells had their headquarters. You had the London Anarchist Conference of of 1872 uh, or 1870 in London. And again, it, it's kind of like today. Like they call London today. L what do they call L Londonistan? I got a book on that. You know, and and you had you know over the last 30 years or so, 40 years even, you've had heads of state of of Pakistan, of India, of many African nations, of Egypt, writing to the governments of. The government of, of Great Britain saying, please shut down these terrorist headquarters that you're you're providing safe haven. And what's what's Britain's response? Well, there's their 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 excuse is we are into freedom and we're 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 into we're 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 liberals. We we as long as you you don't you abide by the laws of our nation, you're you're free to do whatever you want, right? And it's a really great excuse to say, well, you know, we'll if that means that we're providing headquarters to terrorists that are useful ultimately for destabilizing destabilizing nations we don't like they're abiding by our laws so that's okay same thing for canada why do we have so many ukrainian nazis or Khalistani uh separatists who have been given safe haven across british canada same deal it's the same operation so i'm saying all of this is a bit of a segue to get back to the hitler question and tavistock so tavistock it was indeed an outgrowth of this um occult mystical um the, the these modern mystery schools that are taking sort of a, the, the same structure of the ancient mystery cults that that shaped the roman empire you know around mithra mitre um Sibel, which is sort of a precursor to the modern gaia cults the the earth mother worship that involves also human sacrifice in various ways that was there was many of these mystery cults 
that all had degrees of initiation in the ancient times, pre-Christian, during Christian, uh, during during Christ's time and afterwards. Uh, many of them masqueraded as pseudo-Christian um, operations. They acted like they were Christian, but they weren't. And that's what people like St. Augustine were fighting against. When you read St. Augustine's City of God, and everybody should read his City of God to get a sense of like what were the principal, ba principal battle lines, because he's doing battle with a variety of um, sects ask, acting like they're Christian, but they're they're just repackaged uh, pagan operations with dr often drug drug cults or drug initiation ceremonies that involve you know plant blight that's the derivative of today's LSD um, mescal as well as used for in a variety of these initiation ceremonies. There's there's a whole bunch of of ancient things that were used before MK Ultra applied it for a mass psychosis operation. And this is this is also refined with Tavistock as well. All actually, all, all, uh, um, uh, uh, Alistair Crowley did some of the pioneering work on what became MKUltra with his initiation ceremonies into the Eleusinian mysteries in 1910 that involved mescal. Different types of psychotropic drugs and psychedelics were innovated and pioneered by a lot of these groups. Alistair being one of the big ones, but he also used a lot of his own product, <laughs> which also shows you that he's not ultimately a controller of anything because the controllers don't use their own products so much um but that was then in, that informed tavistock which was set up in the wake of world war one to look at the incredible amount of guinea pigs that were all of a sudden at the disposal of the new generation of psychiatrists uh dealing with shock therapy people who've been through unhuman experiences that no human should ever experience in world war one right an, an artificial geopolitical meat grinder that had no purpose except for geopolitical purposes but it had no 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 historian to this very day can account for what what's the good reason why world war one happened you know it they they, they can't because there is none it was unless you look at the geopolitical intentions which involves going into conspiracy land which a lot of professional historians are told that's that's you can't do that so i'm saying this to get across that that's tavistock they looked at well what happens with the mind when it goes through trauma well it, it can compartmentalize it becomes people are more open to suggestibility um there's a variety of experiments we could do with them giving them shock therapy you know electro electroshock as well as drugs as well uh, other things to give them um a it was nominally done to give them therapy and healing, but in reality, it was look the, the the agenda was to always figure out how can we take this these these examples to apply to um to whole nations and whole peoples to put them through shock therapy to make them more malleable to depattern their brains, in order to then reconstruct their brains according to a new idea of what human nature should be as a more adaptive species, not not beholden to their morality, traditional values, concept of God, nation. That has to be purged with the new man we want to create. And the baby boomers were given that. I mean, Hitler was also himself a product of it. He was wildly addicted to a variety of methamphetamines. So were many of the Nazi high command. Many of them, by the way, were also members of the Thula Society, doing child sacrifice as a black magic occult uh, operation. Hermann Goering was a, a leading figure within this. They had a, their, their own revamped Templar order in a, in a weird cult doing you know black son of the occult rituals. In, in the Black Forest. Carl Jung was a big part of this too, um, overseeing some of these, these you know, sun worship orgies. Mm -hmm. It's weird. The fact that Carl Jung then becomes a guru of Alan Dulles overseeing uh, MK Ultra, it means that it, it's not like the Nazis were responsible for MK Ultra, but both MK Ultra and the Nazis 
we're both the effects of the same um, causal agency, which goes back to this Anglo-Venetian operation um, that, that, that goes back to really the Roman Empire. And, and even before that, I would say the cults of even Babylon and Persia. Uh, Dagmar, yeah, what's up? Yeah. I mean, the Catholic Church, they are still eating the body of Christ, you know? You can go and Symbolic, eat. The... Symbolically, of course. Yeah, no, but they say it's real. You know, yeah. they celebrate this cult of eating yeah. humans. I mean, this I never saw it like this, you know, but now as we are dealing with all this, this cult stuff, that's basically very basic Catholic belief and, and practice still today. Well, I, I would I would add a little bit of nuance to that because before <laughs> Protestantism emerged, there was really only um, like the Catholic Church. It, of course, there were splinters. There was different. There's different factions within the church. There was also the Orthodox Church that broke off um, early on, but still, there was there weren't there weren't that many choices. Like if you were living in the 430 period of Rome. There, there weren't too many. You could be an, an Aryan occultist or a Christian. You could be a part of, uh, of, of a series of choices you had before you. But overall, the, the big fight was how do you interpret certain doctrines like the, um, the, the, the idea of the drinking of the wine of the blood and the, and the eating of the host. And you had, you had those who actually interpreted it in a, in a reasonable, I, I would say, in my assessment, reasonable. Like you had reasonable interpretations which involved the constant – this idea of the consubstantiation of people like um, that, that we are finding that act to be something that helps us um, rise beyond our limited identities to become divine. So that the, the idea of, of God's goodness that was expressed by Christ's life is now some is now cathartically um, within our own souls by that ritual act i don't you don't need to have a ritual act but for those who interpret it that way it's a much healthier interpretation than those who are taking like a revamped dionysian uh cult ritual which which did precede even christ there were dionysian dionysian uh, rituals um that involved doing mass you know hedonistic orgies uh the killing of bulls the pouring of bull blood on you the often killing of babies in the context of these rituals where you lose yourself in some spiritual frenzy, often accompanied by different times of might, different mind-altering substances too. And uh, the idea of drinking the blood of Dionys Dionysius was a part of that. Eating his flesh was a part of that. So that you had, you actually had um, certain cults that, that easily repackaged <laughs> those practices and uh, adapted to a Christian world, but with that interpretation. So, they, but these, these groupings didn't, get along very well they were they were at constant war with each other those who actually saw it as a moral metaphor to help or facilitate people to make a transition of themselves into being a better uh redeemed human being versus those who actually saw it as a gateway to <laughs> enshrining us back into the flesh and the passions through a system of initiations so you have all of these fights um even from the early times you saw it even after the cathars and the and the well first the templars were a you know, I, I've seen enough evidence that the early Templars were brought online in order to facilitate the new age of the Crusades that were being orchestrated by the the heirs, the leading bloodlines of the Roman Empire, who had then centered their their operations primarily in Venice by the uh, 10th and 11th centuries, and wanted to create 
a, a clash of civilizations to get the Christian world to go to war with the Muslim world and to get everybody to attack the Jews and to just get everybody to attack everybody. Whereas in reality, the truth was always that we always were had had the same enemies that want to destroy us all through divide and conquer. And so the Crusades were created to destroy that potential harmony and alliance that we had seen earlier with people like uh, the alliances of Charlemagne and Harun al-Rashid, where you had a Muslim Christian um, alliance that that created two golden ages, two Renaissance periods in both worlds um, in, in, in with the Baghdad houses of wisdom that saw Jews and Christians and Muslims and Chinese scholars all and, and Indians also learning and, and doing astronomy and arts together. That was something that was really powerful, which the oligarchy wanted to crush. Um, and so that the Crusades were useful. The Templars were created with the Knights Hospitalier that became the Knights of Malta, the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem in more recent ages. You know, um, They were both created around the same time to facilitate the flow of uh, crusading fool cultists who were, you know, <laughs> who were recruited to the Templar orders. Um, but also to the, the the mercenary class of citizens who had no jobs. There was no economy that was worth much. So people easily became mercenaries to make a living. And they got pulled into this never-ending war in the Middle East that was very useful for centuries. There was like several major crusades, right, over the course of centuries that did just so much damage. So, And that's also also something I, I, I've noticed that they want to bring back today. It's a, it's a new a new revamped type of Christianity that would be more conducive to embracing a new set of um, crusades of the 21st century and beyond with different variations on the theme. So some will want to have a crusade like the children, you know, a, a crusade against global warming. Some want to have a crusade against um, Islam and the Ch and China and, and Russia. Some want to have a but but the but they're all united in the idea that we have to unite our our all of Christianity under under a, a new warrior mercenary type of ideology uh, that will be more manipulatable by a by a priest class from above. So by um, and large, by and large, Matthew, we're still playing the same game on the same chessboard. It's still the same bloodlines of oligarchs who are trying to play their divide and conquer game. The Crusades, World War One, World War Two, and now this is a different type of war, but it is still another what we're in right now. That's World War Three. Still the same people, still running the show from behind the scenes. Amen, is brother. Mm -hmm. You said it. I mean, it's it's you know, like you could go for people who want to. I I don't. You know, you could look at some of the top-down um, family bloodlines to get a sense of how some of them operate. You know, the I, last time I gave a presentation to this platform was dealing with the issue of uh, the Kudenhovic Kalergi yes. operation. You know, you could also look at the Thurn the Thurnun Taxis uh, family as well. Goes back a very long time. We're talking like well over a thousand years. Some most of them came to prominence during the Crusades, usually the fourth either the first, second, third, or fourth crusade are the biggest ones. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, people just need to discipline their minds and focus more clearly. And there's a lot of mental uh, messiness that people have through bad habits in our school system and our, in our culture where we, we, we tend to easily lose focus um, on, on, the, on the actual causal thrust of history. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with both being miseducated, um, so we're, we're given false narratives, so we don't have a, a mooring to hold on to when we reference back to, you know, well, what's, what's, 
what's misinformation, what's a, what's a half truth, what's an outright lie in the narrative minefield that we have to navigate in in our current day. Um, so if you don't have that North Star, it's a bit difficult. That North Star is, you gain it through, I think, an, an immersion, both an immersion in, in understanding universal history, the way people like Friedrich Schiller um, taught universal history as a science of universal history. And if, for anybody who's confused, just, and for the German speaking audience, especially, you're in a, in an advantage place, an advantageous place because you can read Schiller's original writings in the clearest way. And I would suggest everybody take a couple of hours and read his, um, what is and to what end do we study universal history? His first lecture at Yana University in 1789. Read also his Mishnah Moses, read his, uh, on the Jesuit government in Paraguay, read his uh, on the the comparative assessment of Lycurgus's the constitutions of Lycurgus's uh, Sparta versus Solon's Athens. These are some of the most important universal history lectures, but especially that first one to get a sense of sense of what I'm talking about. Because as Schiller points out, um, history is a battle over the the idea of human nature and the idea of God and natural law. That that's. And if you have that idea there in your mind that that it's in this metaphysical realm, right, of ideas that that we find the causal force behind the growth of civilizations, the collapse. Why do some civilizations collapse into dark age and war and ignorance? Other civilizations go through through miraculous leaps. I mentioned the, the American Revolution as one example of, of what you could almost call a miraculous occurrence. Statistically, yeah. in 1775, you would have said it were statistically impossible, impossible yeah. for that to have been a success, but it happened. Yeah. So the only way is to recognize that you have this these two opposing views that one man is made in the image of a living, loving, reasonable God, regardless of what name we've we've chosen to call God from whatever part of the world we were born into. There, there's an idea you see it in the in in the Upanishads, in the Vedic scriptures. You see it in um, if you look for it, you'll find it in, in different passages within the Quran, within the Torah, within the, the, the Old and New Testament. You'll see it in a variety of, of different faiths. This concept that human beings are made in a living, in the image of a living, loving, uh, creative force of you know, even in Confucian scriptures, uh, the stories of the writings of Mencius and Confucius in the Analects get across this idea that there's a, a moral harmony uh, in the heaven that must define the behavior of the laws we create on the earth. You see it in, in the city of God, that there's a city of God with its laws and that man's laws must only be obeyed and defended if they are in harmony with the laws of heaven. That's that's very clearly enshrined in the Christian code as well as the Confucian. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm going to get to your question, Dagmar, but the 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 oligarchy then that's that's what Schiller gets across when he when he when he develops his his uh, analysis of Solon's concept of law in Athens that gave rise to some of the greatest scientists and poets of of universal history were, were shaped by by Solon's concept of the constitution of justice, and then Lycurgus's Lycurgus the lawgiver in Sparta couldn't had a very different philosophy of human nature much more bestial much more debased that couldn't generate um, a legal structure that could produce excellence. It could only produce obedience. It very, very much the, 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 the prototype for all fascist regimes, even Hitler's regime later on um, over the years. So 
I'm just saying this to get across that that that's where you want to start. And then when you do that, then you could sort of see how we're being played because what what are the the how are how are controlled oppositions? Like the, the we live in a world of opposites, right? You you have dark, you have light. You got curved, you have straight. You have uh, uh, one, you have many. Um, so the, there's all of these opposites everywhere, and how you choose to wreck. But there's one universe, right? You don't have. I mean, unless you're you're into the whole Marvel New Age revamping, then there's multiverses forever. But if you if you think about it, like we live in a universe, not a not a, not a pluriverse. And and people can debate me on that if they want, but uh, that's my contention that we live in one universe with one causal uh, mm -hmm. mind, one one intention, one verse, one one harmony. So how do you resolve these apparent contradictions? You could resolve it in a lawful way or in an unlawful way. The oligarchy tries to resolve these opposites in an unlawful way. They say they're they're all equal. They they all resolve in irrationalism. In, a, mm -hmm. in or in ugliness or in something which is ultimately um, devoid of a moral substance, whereas those like Benjamin Franklin, the Platonic Christian humanist movement going back to Augustine and before that, I would even see be before Christ, you had um, you you had Platonic Christian <laughs> humanists, even though there wasn't Christ yet, but you had like read the writings of Cicero or even of of Socrates or Plato. Um, in, in the Gorgias and the Theotetus and in the in the Apologia, um, there's an there's an idea no that that everything resolves in love, reason, and goodness. That that it's not irrationality and ugliness that resolve the 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 opposites, but it's in it's it's in this higher uh, goodness and reasonableness and beauty. Also, they're all different sides of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then that'll that'll in, that'll have you live your life in a very different way and construct your idea of government and law in a very different way, depending on which faction you found yourself operating within. So I'm sorry, I, I ranted on a bit long there, but Dogmar, I know right. you've been waiting. We now have the backdrop. We have the backdrop to our topic, our next topic, which will be, what is this? Is this controlled opposition, the BRICS, yeah. or is it the real thing? But let's first uh, listen to Dogmar's question. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to ask, because you talked about Schiller, um, hmm. Where do you see uh, the the position of the German spirit? Is there something special? You know, I mean, Germany is very small. The whole area is basically very small, much smaller than Russia or, or America. And but since since a few hundred years, there are always world effects going out. You know, from art, philosophy technology and and some people say there's a special german soul spirit but what do you say to this <laughs> thesis yeah yeah well I, I you're right in the sense that germany has has expressed i mean the 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 weimar classic period especially was one of the most brilliant periods uh, of mm -hmm. of cultural um renaissance movements from moses mendelssohn's work with and and lessing's work together reviving Leibniz and the 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 the, the worldview uh both scientifically and morally and metaphysically of, of Gottfried Leibniz who was himself a devoted follower of Kepler uh Johannes Kepler the great astronomer who discovered his his planetary harmonic laws right mm -hmm. especially the third law of, of planetary motion which was the harmonic law where he proved that this concept that even Augustine um from Africa from Carthage that Augustine of Hippo was even working on when you read his uh, um, his City of God. He was he was working on this Pythagorean theorem or a Pythagorean uh, hypothesis that as that there is this 
that, that the music that human beings make by, by dividing up a chord, you know, like when we have a string, you can cut it in half and play the half to the whole string and you find an octave, right? It's the same quality of, of, a, of a high C, low C, but it's, it's exactly double the frequency. And then if you, if you, if you have that again, you create one fourth um, of the chord, you, you string that, you play it next to three quarters and you can get what is known as a fourth on the, on the octave. Right, you take you take that same chord divided by three all of a sudden, which you can't. Then and you you play two thirds to the whole. Now you find a fifth, the perfect fifth. And we mm -hmm. find a lot of these um, resonances in um, in Chinese classical music. Right, that was actually something that that the there there's there's other different intervals, but those those there are common intervals. Like like I said, the the fourth, the fifth, the 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 octave you'll find in in Indian musical mm -hmm. traditions in um in western and so in the pythagorean time they were thinking well what is the reason for the different speeds of the wanderers the, the what are today called planets right um some of them move faster some slower and it was postulated that there was a distance function as well as well as a as a motive force but why why those those speeds and distances and not some other set and so they didn't have the the data at the time of of pythagoras right who himself had studied and, and, and was immersed, immersed in his, in his work um, in Egypt, as was Solon, as was Plato later on. Um, but there was a concept that, okay, there's a, there's a, there must be some commonality between the musicality that the soul developed, not through logic alone, but through a, a love of beauty, a resonance that, that we just sort of developed a sensibility that we, we love and we, our, our soul is moved by music of certain frequencies. Um, and the, and the behavior of the heavens. So Kepler proved that it took a long time for the data. You know, you had to have a Tycho Brahe to be a data collector, but the, uh, the mind of, of, a, of a Platonist, a Pythagorean Platonist Christian, like a Kepler had to then emerge to, to have faith that there was a, w above the data, an organizing principle, uh, as, as he proved there was that we then later on came to you know came to be called his his universal laws of planetary motion which also have application with uh quantum mechanics it's one of the few laws of cla of classical mechanics classical uh, physics that continues to have direct application in the quantum domain mm -hmm. interesting that there's no different differentiation there so kepler did that he also challenged future mathematicians or scientists to resolve some problems regarding the the in, the the uh the elliptic when you have an elliptical orbit, he, Kepler lacked the language of calculus. So there's constant differentiate, uh, constant changes in speed and distance from the from the motive power of the sun in 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 elliptical uh, planets. They're always getting faster and slower at every single moment. And so, how do you find a language that could describe these nonlinear changes? He, that's what he he did a bit of a fudge, but he said this is a fudge. This isn't the answer, and he challenged future mathematicians which animated uh, Gottfried Leibniz a generation later to make that discovery of how that works with Brunelleschi. Not Brunelleschi, sorry, uh, with, with Bern uh, Bernoulli, the, the Bernoulli brothers, mm -hmm. Italians. Now, there's something in the German uh, spirit which uh, became for a period a conduit for this, these most rich ideas of creative reason and discovery that, it, that it expanded the, the artistic domain, in music, as well as especially in science and, and philosophy, and, and they came together really well. 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that the oligarchy has been trying to crush for a long time. They, uh-huh. that, that's that was an obsession with uh, that Churchill had, and and Lord Balfour, and many, many of these these upper level oligarchs is how do we crush this 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 thing in Germany, which tends to also um, work with like the American revolutionaries. You know, if if it weren't for that, look at Baron von uh, Steuben, who mm-hmm. is who is sent to train Washington's troops in America. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a huge Prussian. German uh, contingent who came to fight against the British in the Americas strategically. Um, they were working also with Ekaterina Dishkova, the, the president of the Russian Academy of Sciences, a female, mm-hmm. a, a woman president who became Ben Franklin's uh, close friend in 1780 and who Ben Franklin, ben, ben Franklin was made the first American member of the Russian Academy of Sciences, founded itself by Gottfried Leibniz when Gottfried Leibniz was made the, the privy counselor to um, Peter the Great in the mm-hmm. uh, in 1710, and and Godfrey Leibniz laid out the foundation for what became the the Russian Academy of Sciences. Um, the the idea was always and and Ekaterina organized the League of Armed Neutrality with with Catherine the Great, and the idea was okay, whether you're German, Russian, American, Indian, you know, you had a whole Indian delegation in in the southern Mysore region that was fighting against the British. With uh, uh, Tipu Sultan and Haider Ali, who were writing letters to America's Continental Congress, saying "Your fight is my fight," and they they took absorbed twenty percent of the rush of the uh, British Navy to get sucked into India to try to put down the Mysore rebellions, mm-hmm. which were understood to be needed to break humanity free, liberate humanity as a whole from the system of hereditary institutions, and create a new type of system. Whether you're Christian or Muslim or Jew, whatever. It was a we're humans first, and so yeah, Germany had to be crushed. That that was a big reason why uh, Otto von Bismarck was ousted in an or in a in a in an operation initiated by London that mm-hmm. used a dumb Kaiser in 1890 who didn't realize how the what was going on half the time, <laughs> who mm-hmm. was you know a, a mm-hmm. progeny of Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. um, as was a stupid Tsar Nicholas II who mm-hmm. also didn't know what the hell was going on half the mm-hmm. time, and there, another. Um, you know, cousin of uh, of Queen Victoria, and these these it became like a family feud, and but it was being manipulated by these these uh, British imperial orchestrators who wanted to just get everybody to kill everybody, get the Rus- the Russians to kill the Germans, the Germans to kill the Russians, get everybody to kill everybody, and 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 the key was to destroy the spirit of of the German classics, the Weimar classic. Yeah, all that to say, I don't necessarily believe that there's um. Um, like, like, like an exceptionalism in in a more mystical sense, but I believe that the German culture is very beautiful and should and needs to rediscover what what it lost. I do believe in that, um, well, but I believe it's, it's be- it, yeah. what is it, Matthew, that drives these oligarchs to continue playing these absolutely insane games of gaining full control of killing as many as possible. What is this? This is not really, you can't, this is not human, is it? I mean, it's psychopathy. Psychopathy, yes, but you know, it's, of course it's human, but it's humans. They, they only appear human. If you look at them, you mentioned some of their names, but they're devoid of all human qualities. There is no empathy, no regrets, no love, no nothing. Why, why are they doing this? What are they really okay. after? Well, number one, I, I H, H.G. Wells 
is somebody well worth looking into, and he was a leading grand strategist, mm -hmm. uh, a leader, leading Fabian Society operative, uh, um, tutored under Thomas Huxley, who was himself a controller of Charles Darwin. H.G. Uh, Wells wrote a comment, I believe it was in his experiments in autobiography in like 1904, where he said that the greatest benefit that the or advantage that the British Empire has over the world is people's unwillingness to think of evil. And uh, he wasn't saying this to uh, warn people or anything. He was saying that this is good, that pe because people are mentally incapable of thinking evil, of the, the essence of evil. Well, that's the best thing we've got going for us too because <laughs> we project you know human beings are good you know like we project our goodness mm -hmm. out onto the world oftentimes and because we're like well i'm an honest person and this person's speaking well obama or Tr justin trudeau or whatever they speak so nicely how could mm -hmm. they be bad you know like i'm good i when i so it's this naivete right mm -hmm. um i think the best analysis i've seen on this question of evil from a higher, because it's not, Hollywood has really banalized it for us. And a lot of the the alternative media narratives that give us, um, that, 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 that are spun over the centuries to give us who are truth seekers unsatisfied with the popular stupid narratives, mm -hmm. um, as we were talking before we, we, we pressed record, there, there's always been secondary nets to catch the, the, the fish that jump out of the big nets. Mm -hmm. And whether you look at the the writings of the Protocols of Zion, that themselves were um, provable forgeries from the Okrana, especially the French branch of the Okrana that revamped certain manuscripts that were were made by a Freemasonic branch in uh, Russia in the 19, 1850s. But this was was uh, was if you read it, it is like a pinky in the brain cartoon. It's like evil doesn't. Evil talks this way in Hollywood movies for stupid plebeians, but nobody who is actually evil, who wields power of this way, talks in the in the cartoonish manner that the cartoon characters within the script talk. But despite that, it was manufactured to appeal to the prejudices of those who would have to become instruments for their own undoing, like Alexander uh, uh, Nicholas II was a believer in this. That's why it was marketed for his psychology. It was marketed to Hitler, who was a believer in a lot of the material. And a lot of the material has truth, which is which makes it attractive because they mm -hmm. talk about international bankers' conspiracies going back generations. You're like, well, anybody who, who acknowledges that truth, which has been secret, must be telling me the truth about everything, but it's all about the Trojan horses. So I'd say that the best person to get a sense of the real epistemologically advanced nature of evil is Schiller's Schiller did a piece called the Ghost Seer um, in around 1797 or 98, published in his Thalia magazine. And the Ghost Seer, my wife did a whole study in a class series on this, uh, is an important read. It's long. It's it's um, it's written as a fiction story, but he's it takes place in Venice, and the protagonist, the key person, is a young German prince. Who is the third person removed from the uh, who who will be the heir to this very influential kingdom within at the time Prussia, right? Very divided Germany, and this prince is um, psychologically profiled while he's on vacation in Venice. <laughs> Venice is it's also the place where where Schiller situated the uh, the Merchant of Venice and Othello, two other studies mm -hmm. that give you good insight into the nature of of evil and oligarchical operations to make good people who are weak-minded become instruments for evil and their own undoing. Um, that's, that's, that is Othello. 
That is Othello. That's uh-huh. also this this poor prince, the, the German prince who's profiled. Mm-hmm. He's given a series of um, ex- experiences while he's there that uh, are very elaborate. <clears throat> and Schiller's taking you through exactly how this works. And he's slowly deconstructed. His mind is depatterned. And he's reconstructed in the image of what becomes basically a Catholic mystic who will be then redeployed after all of a sudden his older brother and his uncle who are who are the 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 next in lines to the throne end up dying mysterious deaths and all of a sudden he's the only one left but he's lost himself he's now a different person he is now an occult mystical believing fanatic who will now be more useful when he's sent back to germany to carry out the type of operations he's ex- that are, that are expected of him in what is essentially the 30 years war Mm-hmm. So if you want to know how like the, the 30 years war was orchestrated by the forces of Venice that killed off like half the German population in some cities, right? Like a thir- like it was crazy, the death of mm-hmm. the 30 years war. Um, it was it was done by getting stupid, superstitious, mystical fools who had political power to um, take the advice of Venetian agencies that were deployed often to give them their consul. You know, how, what the stars, like astrology was really big back then. What do the stars tell me I should do? When should I go to battle? Who should I declare a, a peace treaty with? That was all the astrologers' jobs. Those were like the modern um, priests of Delphi mm-hmm. that were interpreting the messaging from the gods. You know, in, in the time of ancient Rome, you had like, you know, the, the augurs that would cut the, the the birds' bellies open and see the blood gut spilled. And then they would read the where the blood and the and the and the the organs of the birds fell and that would that would be the what what the the senate or the roman leaders would do to declare war on their neighbors or not Mm -hmm. Uh, same thing for the the astrologers that kepler was doing battle with during the seven years war people like wallenstein Mm -hmm. right wallenstein was somebody who was a, a a mystic superstitious fool but who had good potential he could have ended the 30 years war 20 years earlier and Mm -hmm. kepler was his advisor giving him really damn good advice um and and he wouldn't follow it properly and so and, and you're and you're saying that um that schiller is the one who describes this in a very realistic manner as opposed to this is my thesis goethe who did it more in a hollywood type style hmm. oh that's good you mean from his, his faustus <laughs> yes yes yeah i think you're right i think that that's a very good observation um, yes, oh, I think that 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 Goethe, under the influence of Schiller, did very good things, and they collaborated. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he he was inspired by Schiller. You know, he 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 used his position in the Ministry of Culture mm-hmm. to uh, give Schiller a, a platform to have his plays presented where otherwise they would never been have been permitted because Schiller was was way too dangerous for the the ruling oligarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at other times, he was more unfortunately. Uh, more superstitious and superficial uh, than mm-hmm. Schiller. Not mm-hmm. to see some people don't like Goethe at all. I like Goethe. Don't get me wrong. I like him. Um, but he he didn't have that depth of penetration um, that Schiller did have, and he admitted he, so. He, he, he was he, also a thirty-three degree Freemason, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that compromised his wits a little bit. Um, mm. Yeah, he he allowed himself to become the German prince that Schiller. I think Schiller was was speaking to a wide array of of elites of his day in the 1780s and 90s um when he when he made the character of the german prince who was a bit of a composite character mm-hmm. of uh, of many people like schiller who could have done so much good if they could just become more self-aware 
yeah. and rigorous with their their mind mm-hmm. and because they chose not to and instead were too much led by well um schiller describes this at length in the, um his 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 uh, aesthetical letters his letter letters on the aesthetical education on man written to another german prince yeah, um Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Let I mean, it's it's challenging, but highly valuable uh, to read and study these letters because he's talking about the the two the, the way we undo our our goodness is falling into the traps of this false uh, controlled opposition that involves the mind and the emotions splitting. And mm-hmm. he describes how you have the problem of like in the case of the French Revolution, he's he's wondering what caused it to turn into a a Jacobin bloodbath of of terror where 40,000 people, mostly innocents, were killed. The bad people, many bad people were had their heads cut off, but also many good people had their heads yeah. cut off. And it's like he was trying to figure out what went wrong when it it could have been a new American revolution, but it wasn't. It went that the other way. Mm-hmm. And he, he observes the barbarian-savage dichotomy and how the, the problem of the elites of France was that they lacked heart. They had culture. They had, they had logic and education. But they didn't have a culture that encouraged the 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 maturation of love and and sympathy in the heart. So they still where the don't masses, have. They still don't uh, have the French. The French no, they don't still have it. <laughs> we'll no, see. they don't. That's we'll still see. the same problem. <laughs> we'll see. They they say as as soon as uh, what some church in in France as soon as that starts to burn, that's when we're really in trouble. But. Those are just prophecies. We don't know if there's any truth to this. But now that we have the backdrop to all of this, let's turn to the BRICS um, enigma. What's going on there? Is it true that this is a good way out? Are these, are, can we expect something good to come out of this? Or is this controlled opposition? Is it a good cop, bad cop game? That's okay. Played? In my assessment, it's an, it's, it's an authentic opposition um, mm-hmm. to the death cult. That's that's mm-hmm. my in short. That's the the mm-hmm. quickest way Very I can good. say it. I, I I see it as an authentic opposition with problems. Okay, like I'm not as I'm not trying to say that this is like the salvation. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say that it is perfect. I'm not saying that. Um, every nation has deep state issues. There's no nation without deep state issues. And what I've been saying uh, in the course of the first hour of our of our chat. Um, about all of humankind being pulled between traditions that are either rooted in this oligarchical structure of master slave traditions or rooted in this other idea that there is a harmony above and a harmony below that's tied to a moral purpose that mm-hmm. that gives us rights and all of these things and value um, that applies to every nation have I, I I have not found a nation in in the world that doesn't have uh, two opposing traditional cur- uh, currents one Renaissance one dark age that are not in harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that just because they're opposites that they are controlled opposites. There, are, there is such a thing as, as truth and there is such a thing as wrong, <laughs> right? That, that does exist. Um, so for, in the case of, for example, um, the multipolar alliance, some might call it, it has different forms today. Um, some might call it the BRICS, the BRICS Plus, the the Greater Eurasian Partnership. Some call it that. It's a it's a fluid thing. Um, mm-hmm. There is, if I could find evidence that those leaders who are driving home or driving forth and leading this multipolar alliance in opposition to the 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 unipolar 
a program, if they actually wanted to reduce the world population and make us all stupider, erase our, erase our heritage, our moral values, then I would say it's a controlled opposition. The fact is, as far as I've been able to see with all of my, my I, I, there is not a day that, that goes by that I don't obsessively look at this and think about this. And I've written books about this and including the, the Breaking Free of Anti-China PSYOPs, Volume 1 and Volume 2. People can get those on my websites. Um, everything that I've seen, even though there's often similar words that are used, by Putin, by Xi Jinping, by Narendra, by uh, leaders of Iran, of Ethiopia, of Egypt, um, even though often similar words are used like, you know, we support the UN Charter. Well, you'll find bad guys from the transatlantic saying the same thing. We support the UN Charter. Mm -hmm. uh, we support the Sustainable Development Goals. Same words are used. Uh, we support green, being green. Same words are used. But what does it mean to those using the same words nominally? They, they mean different things. So when you look at, for example, the UN Charter, it is very different from the rule-based international order idea, which has emerged more out of, you know, the 1992 New World Order idea of, of Tony Blair, of Kissinger, of George Bush. They gave it a new name, rules-based international order. Basically, mm -hmm. what that means is R2P. We have, we have the responsibility to have humanitarian bombings like we did in Iraq or in Libya or in Syria or anywhere we, we want for humanitarian reasons. What does that mean? The reason why they needed to create this new doctrine of R2P responsibility to protect is because the UN Charter doesn't permit it. In the UN mm -hmm. Charter, it is illegal to do an invasion against a neighboring country or any country. You just can't do that it, in the Charter. Also, the idea of the, the sovereignty of the nation state is enshrined as a sacred um, uh, entity. You cannot disrupt the agency of the sovereign nation state within Article 1 2 of the UN Charter. Now, this doesn't mean that the UN was not very quickly infiltrated and has done a lot of evil. New agencies affiliated with the UN that never should have existed were created. The World Health Organization never should have existed. It was created by a Tavistockian psychiatrist who hated humans named G. Brock Kissholm in 1946. Mm -hmm. you know, the UN uh, Education Science Cultural Organization was founded by a eugenicist hater of humans named Julian Huxley. Um, in 1946, there's many, many more. The UN Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the I IPCC, mm -hmm. they shouldn't have existed. They were created as oligarchical instruments within the banner of the UN. So I'm not saying that the UN is all good. I'm not. I'm saying that <laughs> it's a very corrupted body. However, that body does have a, a charter which had a mandate which the oligarchy has been trying to destroy for 80 years and do it from, from within and from without. There was also the idea of the UN, um, every nation does have a voice, even though it's not followed. The oligarchy doesn't want to give any nation a voice at all, right? Mm -hmm. If you're an African nation, especially, or if you're a European country, you shouldn't be uh, able to, to vote on anything. You should have an unelected body of technocrats. The UN Charter gives people the right to, to have a vote. The UN mm -hmm. Human Rights, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the security, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting my words here. The UN... Um, security council. council? Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. That was weird. Uh, that happens to me sometimes. I sorry. Um, that is an entity which gives Russia, China, the ability to veto 
the bombing of other countries. Like they've done, they use their veto to stop the bombing of Syria. Yeah. They, they've used it as a platform to unveil the role of bio warfare operations run by, you know, the, 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 the World Health Organization and U.S. US agencies in Ukraine, in Georgia, in South Korea. There's about 320 plus Pentagon run uh, bio labs internationally that have no oversight, um, which Russian, the Russians and the Chinese alone have been using the platform of the UN Security Council to give that information to the world. That that is not a platform that that the oligarchy wants to exist. They want to remove that so that they can do whatever they want. So I so, think what this boils down to, Matthew, we hmm. interviewed a former high-ranking official of the United Nations um, about almost a year ago. Hmm. Not quite. Uh, his name he's from Romania, and I actually traveled to Romania to do this interview. His name is Kalin Georgescu, and he says that he's totally disillusioned because the UN is now a. I think it, it was meant to lead us into a one-world government. But he thinks it started out as a good institution, but he says it's now totally corrupted, just like the Club of Rome. And this is what he said. He said, when they're talking about peace, they mean war. Because the oligarchs who are running the show from behind the scenes from, from the World Economic Forum, that's what they're all about. That's how they make money. When they talk about health, they mean death and disease. So maybe this is this is how it makes sense. When yeah. these oligarchs say this, they mean the exact opposite. And when maybe Putin and Xi Jinping say it, they mean the real. They, they they're using the words okay. in the real sense. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great observation. A great observation. I like. Yeah, when when um, it's Orwellian, right? Up 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 is down. Right is wrong. Yeah. Freedom is slavery. That's all that's inverted. the mm -hmm. that's the yeah. Everything's inside out. It's the inside out land. So when they say, like, Klaus Schwab will say, we believe in a multipolar world, you know, and, and Kissinger will say shit like that, too. Sorry for the language. Um, what they mean is unipolar with a multipolar, the words mean nothing. It, they, yeah. they mean local managers of regions that will be obedient to the death cult uh, agenda or the death cultists in the city of London, in, uh, in Washington, who are utilizing Club of Rome computer models in a transhumanist neo-Nazi ideology. And I say neo-Nazi because that's what the Nazis were. It was, they were promoting a eugenics proto-transhumanism of mm -hmm. an ubermension, of an above humans that could control the genetics of the lower humans that would then be bred um, to be conformist and whatever else. That was essentially, they just gave it a new name, transhumanism yeah. a little bit later on. But so the, the word means one thing, but the actions are the very opposite. Now, the same thing for green, right? Like if you look mm -hmm. at green in Russia and uh, sorry, in, in China and India, they mm -hmm. when they talk about green, they're talking about green deserts. Like you've got the biggest water projects, mega projects in the world, the Move South Water North project in China that was begun about 12 years ago. It's two, two of the three phases are done. That is taking areas that flood too much in the south of China and moving an, an, a, an element of that water north where there's a Gobi deserts and way too much dryness. And you're, you're, you're creating new green spaces and forests and agricultural land along the way. You're also creating a lot of hydroelectric power, a lot of electricity in abundance when you're moving that water because along the way you can make turbines move and create electricity for industries and for people. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one way of being green, you green deserts. 
whereas in the and, and India is doing their own similar thing with reforestation of deserts, de- desert reclamation. They've got things in Saudi Arabia that are being brought online too that are very interesting. Um, now, in the case of of Klaus Schwab's Schwab's um, followers, they talk about green. They're talking about making more deserts, killing the green by yeah. how? Well, put solar panels all over Arizona, California, the Sahara Desert. Do that. Do that and and see how much hotter it's going to get. You're going to increase the heat by an average of three to five degrees, which is going to increase the des- desertification because where, where it's going to get hot, you're going to burn what little lives and you're going to increase that desert. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Bill Gates. By blocking out the sun with his weird experiments, you're going to – I mean the idea is we're going to uh, stop global warming by putting little particles of carbon into the, into the atmosphere. I mean the food – green things need light from the sun to grow they need water to grow and yet the water is being destroyed the reservoirs that were built up we've already destroyed over a thousand hydroelectric dams built up since the 30s in america gavin newsom just oversaw a 500 million dollar demolition of four very important dams in um california to liberate the deserts to bring the deserts back to their natural ecosystems it's insane. You're going to kill people and, just, and and create scarcity of food by liberating deserts. So they're getting rid of water. They're getting rid of sunlight. I mean, everything that 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 life needs. Whereas in China, it's the opposite. When they're talking about green or in India or in Russia, when they're talking about green, they're talking about doing things that involve producing more carbon dioxide in many cases because carbon dioxide is also plant food. Of course. You know? um, it's different. Uh, more water, more, and so it's it's a different idea. And same thing for the sustainable development goals. Like if you read the goals, now the goals themselves were written by a death cultist fanatic named Maury Strong, who oversaw this this operation in 1992 with the Rio Summit, and he created Agenda 21. They oversaw with Stephen Rockefeller and Mikhail Gorbachev were on the drafting committee for the mm-hmm. Earth Charter, which was a charter that they're still trying to use to replace the UN Charter. They want to have mm-hmm. a U, an Earth Charter. Um. And so the the UN Sustainable Development Goals were created in a way to make the evil appear good, like you know, mm-hmm. and and they couldn't sell it like we want to kill you. They can't say that we have to reduce the world population of one billion from eight billion. No, they can't say that. So what they'll say is nice, very general general things, and then infuse the the Trojan horses. Yeah. Now, when you actually look at what are the political and economic policies of China, of India, of the nations leading the the multipolar alliance. When they say that they support the UN Sustainable Development Goals, number one, they didn't create them. They, that's an already a ball in motion. Now they're mm-hmm. trying to take it and and with their very general seventeen points, and most of those seventeen real. points are, are fine. You know, like stop yeah. hunger, <laughs> like mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> get rid of poverty, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> have clean water, okay. They're actually doing it. Like they've pulled mm-hmm. over a billion people out of out of poverty. Purely, China did eighty percent of that heavy lifting over the past twenty years. Mm-hmm. um that's actual that's that that's the way it works mm-hmm. they, they're creating desalination plants with like russia helping egypt and north africa build n- nuclear desalination to take s- salt water from the mediterranean and bring it in to north africa um that's that's what's gonna actually deal with clean rivers and poverty it's doing create job opportunities that's one of the sustainable development goals good job op- opportunities for all it's different right so they're actually doing it and you can measure the effects of it. You could look at the increase of longevity of the people in China over the past 40 years. You could look at the people in Xinjiang 
where we've been told that there's a genocide. And that's why the Canadian government and the U.S. government and Europe have all sanctioned China over because we care so much about the Muslims in West China. Mm. And it's like, wait a minute, for a genocide, that population has quadrupled in 60 years. And in the last uh, 20 years, it's, it's gone up by uh, a factor of 30%. The average life expectancy went from like 45 years of age in 1962 in Xinjiang to being 75 years of age today. What kind of genocide is that? There's there's uh, over 20,000 mosques in Xinjiang. It's a huge, uh, you know, density per capita. And and so let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at yeah. that, because this is um, I guess what you're saying is um, what the. When the death cultists talk about, they, they have inverted everything. When they talk, they're lying. That's how simple it is. Now, the BRICS, if you want to generalize it, the, 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 the leaders of the BRICS countries, they mean what they say. So ultimately, we should judge them not by their words, but by their actions. Mm. One side is quite obviously demonstrating to us that they're, they're, they're trying to kill as many as possible. And the yeah. other side is doing the exact opposite. That's what it looks like. But what about, for example, this um, huge scandal as it was scandalized, at least in the, in the mainstream media? What about the Uyghurs in, in uh, China? What happened there? I mean, we know for a fact in the meantime that the, uh, what was it, um, Tiananmen Square massacre never happened. Um, it was probably a CIA operation um, yeah. and, and mind control, uh, mass mind control. What about the Uyghurs, for example? Well, the, the, most of what we are being fed about the Uyghurs um, in our media, and I'm here I'm talking about people listening to pro-Biden media or pro-Trump media or pro-DeSantis media like or alt-media who's against everything. Um, mm -hmm. There's different variations on the same thing, but it's the same ultimate narratives that are being fed across the board um, on this issue. Most of the sources are not coming from Xinjiang itself, but rather from um, a National Endowment for Democracy-funded operation called the World Uyghur Congress, mm -hmm. which uh, has a base of operations primarily in Germany and the USA. And Turkey, but less so Turkey. They've had their their operations largely shut down. Um, the World Uyghur Congress, like I said, it, it's funded by the the NID uh, NED, which itself is openly espoused. It has as a as a CIA front group. It runs regime change operations. It was behind the regime change in in Georgia in two thousand three and the current one against Ukraine as well. It was also very active in Tiananmen Square in that attempted Maidan of nineteen eighty nine China. Um, in overthrowing um, the Politburo in China, utilizing a, a bunch of agent provocateurs uh, mm -hmm. to basically become human weapons. They did that in the Arab Spring, too, uh, to overthrow governments like Gaddafi and, and Mubarak and many others. Now, in the case of the actual evidence, in uh, the case of Xinjiang and the Uyghurs, there has been, in my analysis... When I look at the original reports produced by places like the World Uyghur Congress that will produce a report, usually taking data that's given to them by the U.S. State Department utilizing U.S. satellites, or the, uh, the, the biggest one I've, so, I've seen is the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is produced, again, they'll produce a few reports. You read the reports. You can read them. They're usually between 40 to 100 pages. They're not that hard to read. Mm -hmm. But then what happens is 
they will then be cited and cited and cited by mainstream media everywhere as if what they're saying is true. But you read the reports and you could quickly see the, the fallacies. Now, the, the one that I, I, I think is worth looking at is from uh, a recent study from the Australia uh, Policy Institute that admits in their opening um, executive summary where they're trying to prove that uh, 60% of the um, the mosques and religious sites have been destroyed and demolished in the past uh, seven years in Xinjiang. They admit that they're only using uh, data sets that involve 500. So they're saying that the U.S. State Department and the U.S. government has given them um, an array of satellite imagery as if there was no other better way of getting the imagery of like what you know what's on the ground in China, they ha they had to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And of those, they're like we can identify 500 of the 26,000 sites that exist in in Xinjiang. But we identify 500, and we discovered that when they look at images, snapshots that were taken seven years ago, and snapshots today, that about 60% of them have some form of damage or are gone. Now, what they say is that with these 500, uh, which is about 2.5% of the overall number. They then take what they say is their interpretation of the data as if there's no other interpretation, as mm -hmm. if you know that these are, in fact, actual um, religious sites. But you you then – and then they extrapolate that outward to say thus that same proportion of 60% is maintained everywhere in Xinjiang. Mm -hmm. Now, that's exactly what they did for the, the COVID lockdown. They, they took very select, tiny little data sets from choice locations that – were approved by those running the Imperial College uh, data collection agencies that then made the models, right? Ignoring all data that disproved the outcome that they wanted their computer models to make. And then they extrapolated it outward saying, thus, we're going to have this many millions of people dying if we don't lock down our economies and shut everything down uh, ASAP. And, and we have two weeks to bet to flatten the curve. That's the same type of fraud that was also used for global warming. They take a, a selected set of data that somehow um bet uh, uh, uh associates carbon dioxide an emission from from you know mm -hmm. industrial production they associate it with with temperature as if there was a connection which there is not there is no actual connection mm -hmm. and then they extrapolate that out in a linear way to the world and to the next 50 years saying we're all going to boil under global boiling unless we shut everything down now mm -hmm. um and it's all about the death effect that they want to get. So they did the same sort of sleight of hand. They do this all over the place. And in the case of Xinjiang, it's a it's a perfect example of that. Um, and the actual data, like I said, when you look at it, the population of this region that's been genocided apparently um, has actually gone from uh, <laughs> it's 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 doubled in forty years. It's it's gone up by thirty percent in the in the past fifteen years. And the longevity, the average life expectancy of people in Xinjiang who were never submitted to the one-child policy, by the way, that wow. was that was for the Han Chinese. The, the 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 Xinjiangs were people from the Muslim population or any minority group were exempt from that thing that the Club of Rome, not China, but the Club of Rome brought in, overseen mm -hmm. by Henry Kissinger in 1979, 1980. Mm -hmm. That was a that was a Club of Rome policy imposed onto China as part of a condition around which China would be allowed to access factory work and other things that they needed to have production that would eliminate the poverty that they were in because they were a third world country that had gone through some self-mutilation as well under the, the, the cultural revolution. So the, the one-child policy was never applied to the, the Muslims. And so today, I mean, they're, they're, they have high-speed rail. Um, we have no high-speed rail. We, they have better infrastructure that's being built. And the actual um, 
problem was that there was Islamic terrorism in Xinjiang, just like there was everywhere else. It was a problem. The Chinese have a border with Afghanistan. So people forget that there is actually a 70 kilometer border with China and Afghanistan mm-hmm. along the Kyber Pass. And since the 70s, when Zbigniew Brzezinski launched his program of utilizing and f- using American money, $500 million under Operation Cyclone, to fund radicalizing madrasas with the support of certain assets in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia, that was done to create uh, a quagmire in Afghanistan that would suck in the Russians and, and destroy the Russians by attrition. That, mm-hmm. That's what created al-Qaeda. So mm-hmm. that pr- the problem was a lot of Muslims in Xinjiang got trained by this U.S.-sponsored radicalization process starting in the 80s and cut their teeth as mercenaries, cutting off the heads of, of civilians in, in Iraq and in ISIS and in, uh, in, in Syria and beyond in Libya and in Mali. There, there have been Xinjiang fighters, and they carried this forth to overthrow uh, China in order to create what's known as East Turkmenistan, uh, East Turkestan. Mm-hmm. That was an that was an idea that the National Endowment for Democracy even calls it not not Xinjiang. They call it East. Uh, I, I, I want to say East Turkestan, but it might be East Turkmenistan. I, I always forget. So it's a separatist terrorist movement. They they had over a hundred cases of terrorism, mass attacks uh, of knives, bombs, everything, and that and China had to deal with this problem inside their own country brought to them by the United States, by the CIA, and they did it in a very different way than we did. We, they didn't bomb any country back to the Stone Age the way we did with our war on terror that killed millions of, of civilians. They did it in such a way that involved de-radicalization programs, but doing it in a way that involved giving people trade, like carpentry, plumbing, elect, electrical engineers that they've been able to train in as part of a program that is not concentration camps. They're they're actually training centers. And in, in the case of the most radical killers, yeah, they had prisons. They did. But to say then that that's all that China is doing is trying to exterminate the, the Muslim people because they have Muslim terrorists that were created by the CIA, that's mm-hmm. a fallacy. Mm-hmm. And they've created jobs, like I said, with real opportunities. And you can go on a high-speed rail in Xinjiang, whereas you can't go on one in Toronto or Canada or anywhere. It doesn't exist. I so it just shows I was, I was there. I was there, Matthew, a couple of years, not a couple of years ago, I think in 2017 or 18, because I was going to, um, I interviewed a witness, a very important witness. Um, uh, she's uh, from um, Taiwan, but um, she produces all kinds of furniture for the European market for a client of mm. mine. And, uh, and, she, and, and her factory is in Shenzhen. And I just couldn't believe it when uh, my friend and I, um, when we when we toured that part of the country, it was it was as though parts of Europe are still part of the Stone Age, more or less. However, once you leave the bigger cities, that's when you go back into the Stone Age too in China. But again, you're right. Just one thing that I wanted to make clear. the NED is basically a CIA-controlled operation, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. The, the, there was a, I think it was Alan Weinstein, or was it Carl Gersman, um, former head of it, had given an interview in 91 or 92 where he had described openly in his own words that uh, a lot of what we do today overtly is what the CIA had been doing already for 30 years covertly. Um, and most of this was 
it had to be created. And I, and I, I wrote a, 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 it's, it's actually a, a chapter in my book series on this. Um, a lot of the abuses and evil done by the CIA, assassinations, overthrows of governments, other things came to light during the church committee hearings in 1975. MK Ultra, that's why we know about it, was it was brought mm -hmm. to light by the church senator, uh, Frank Church, who ran the church mm -hmm. committee hearings, brought mm -hmm. a lot of these abuses, even the murder of, of uh, Fred Hampton um, mm -hmm. by the FBI and the CIA, and uh, Martin mm -hmm. Luther King was brought to light. Anyway, um, that was such bad publicity that they had to figure out a way to rebrand themselves. And so that was where Reagan's um, Reagan was a, a pawn who was not aware of what was around him as well. I think he was an overall good guy, but mm -hmm. he wasn't aware of how Kissinger was manipulating him and so many others. Um, mm -hmm. And he brought legislation online that created the national endowment for democracy um, to f use civilian funding or government funding, but also some private funding to promote democracy abroad. Um, but it, it would always worked in tandem with George Soros's Open Society Foundations, to get, which wow. was also created around 1979, same time, to, mm. to overlap. And they, they always, wherever one goes, the other follows. You'll always find them together. Yeah. Um, doing election fraud, other things. They did it with uh, 1989 in, or in the 80s and 86 in uh, the Philippines. Mm. Um, Mark Malik Brown was a key figure in the Philippine regime change. Both Soros and, and Soros was very, very big in China in 1989. He actually got one of his um, stooges um, named Zhao Jiang to become chairman of the Chinese Communist Party mm. in 1987. And Zhao Ziyang co-ran a think tank with George Soros. They had Soros scholarships for young Chinese elites that would then be indoctrinated abroad and sent back to become a technocratic controlling class for a fourth industrial revolution, which is what Zhao Ziyang was talking about as early as 1983-84. He was giving speeches on this with people like Milton Friedman, with uh, Alvin Toffler, the futurist, who were all, all also in, in Beijing working with him. And that was supposed to be what, what was brought online in 1989 at the same time as they were preparing the groundwork for the perestroika under Gorbachev in Russia, right, to, to privatize Russia, un, undo Russia as a nation, un, as a civilization, just create a new class of oligarchs managed by cyberneticists above. And uh, Gorbachev was working with Maurice Strong at, cre at creating the Earth Charter with Stephen Rockefeller, like I mentioned. That was supposed to happen to China. But China luckily was had their wits about them a little bit more and were able to recognize the regime change. And they kicked out George Soros forever. That's when Soros was banned from China. And um, from Russia, too. Russia came later. They, 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 it was only banned in 2015 in Russia. Mm -hmm. So what about if you look at the leaders of both countries, if you look at uh, Putin on the one hand and uh, you look at Xi Jinping on the other hand, both of them are said, I don't know if this is true, to have had troubled childhoods. Is there any truth to that? Or is that a lie too? Oh, I, I, from what I've seen, I mean, Putin's brother, I mean, died in, um, I think it was World War II. Mm -hmm. um, Must have he been was a, much his older brother. brother. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a lot of trauma due to World War II. The whole family okay. was really, I mean, every, yeah. every Russian family was touched. I mean, the Russians lost over 25 million people. Yeah. They, they took on 80, 89% of the German Wehrmacht were taken on by the Russians. A mm -hmm. um, lot of sacrifice there. The Chinese also lost over uh, 13, 14 million people as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of living mm -hmm. memory 
of mm. fascism. Um, they're more aware of it in a living sense than than we are, especially in North America, which was not so touched by the war directly. Um, mm. In the case of uh, Xi Jinping, his his parents or his father were pretty high level mm-hmm. in the Chinese Communist uh, Party in the 60s. Mm. Uh, they were purged. He was... Uh, uh, I don't. They weren't killed, but they were purged. They were. They were not. They were taken down quite a few notches. Let's just okay. say that mm-hmm. he was put into a, a little village for a few years to, um, to work on. You know, becoming a mechanic, machine. You know, uh, farming things like that. Um, he describes it as a character building experience. He became a bit of a hero in the village. Um, mm-hmm. He had some certain innovations to motorize. You know, the the agricultural process. And anyway, he rose. He rose slowly um, mm-hmm. through the ranks. So did Putin. Um, but I don't. I don't think that there's anything. I I wouldn't read anything too Freudian into it at okay, this point. Good. Yeah, that's. I just want to make sure I, because I thought there's nothing. There's nothing of substance that would support this. Just rumors. Nothing else. Um, so I would much prefer to judge them by their actions rather than by their words. Um, but um, what about um, the pictures we saw? Well. There's this guy who is the who is the counterpart, the, the Chinese counterpart to Fauci in the U.S. I forget his name. Is it Gao or something? George. Is, George. is that him? Yeah. Yeah, he's a weird he's, character. I, uh, yeah. Is he the guy who is really running the show from behind the scenes, like you know, almost like Fauci did in the U.S.? No, I don't. I don't know enough about George Gao. I mean, he's he's a a shady character, Yale, mm-hmm. Ox. Like he's got a, a you know. I think he was Yale and Oxford, um, mm. or is it just Oxford? Anyway, mm. very, very weird, um, elite Western Ivy League education, um, very high up in the in the medical dictatorship uh, operation and infrastructure. Uh, I don't know whether mm. he is um, a double agent working um, on the inside to try to get mm-hmm. a sense of what the hell's going mm. on for for as a patriot who's like a double agent, or if he is part of the I'm more inclined to think of him as a representative of the death cult. I think. Yeah. So both uh, countries. I don't know. So so I would assume uh, because it's it, it it makes sense. I would assume that both countries' leaders uh, have their own fifth columns to worry about. Would yeah. that be correct? Okay, that makes yeah. sense. That makes I wrote. Perfect. I actually wrote an article going through this in some detail called. Um, I'll just say it. If people want to Google it. You can find it pretty easily. Um, it's called Steve Bannon and China's Deep State. If you if you just type in that title with my name, you'll find an article. And in it, I do a bit of a breakdown of some of the very high-level deep state operatives who have been built up, especially around Shanghai, where you have the what's mm-hmm. known as the Shanghai clique of uh-huh. multi-billionaires built up, especially in the 80s under the Soros operation. And that got really quite powerful in the 90s. Some of these figures, they, they tend to revolve around the figure of uh, the recently deceased former head of China, Zheng Zemin, mm-hmm. who um, was the patron of people like Jack Ma. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you look at like Alibaba, a lot of the worst stuff you could see from the transhumanist uh, policy um, inside of China is represented by the sort of Chinese Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, Bezos character uh, named Jack Ma. Who yeah. himself was a trustee of the World Economic Forum. He's oh. a very oh yeah yeah like he was high up before he was taken down mm-hmm. um, by the Chinese government for essentially calling in 2020 for a financial regime change in China. 
because he wanted his Alibaba and his uh, um, he had a whole network um, that uh, he wanted to to replace the Chinese banking system. China has one of the only robust national banking systems that have not been privatized mm-hmm. in the world. That that's given them an ability to to do a lot economically as as far as extending large scale loans for 10, 20, 40 year pro- projects. That's why they could do it because they didn't they didn't give up the right for 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 national banking. And he wanted his own private financial organization to become and it, 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 there's a subsidiary called the Ant Group, which was going to become the world's biggest um, traded company effectively that was going to control a big chunk of China's economy mm-hmm. if they didn't if they deregulated. And he called for that. And he was taken down. His his many of his assets were stripped. He was put in his little mansion and told to just stay there. And all he's allowed to do right now is to like teach English. His his university that he created with Alibaba was shut down. And mm-hmm. another point that I would just say too that's very important for people to keep in mind is that Jack Ma is anti-China, and the whole Shanghai clique of billionaires are anti-China. These are this is the deep state. His Alibaba was created in 1999 under a holding company called Trident Trust. It's base of operations. You're like, okay, where is this thing based? Cayman right. Islands, the British oh. Islands. And so, that is, so it's fair to assume that Jack Ma and all the other Shanghai oligarchs, I remember the pictures from, you know, Shanghai, the lockdowns. So that it's, it's probably fair to say that they are just puppets of George Soros slash the deep state. Yes. Yeah, that, that's, and China is, and I go through this in the Steve Bannon and China's deep state. Uh, mm-hmm. essay um so far 4.6 million party members have been punished some have faced huge jail terms like the former we got a former justice minister two heads former heads of the chinese uh intelligence agency the one is the head of the chinese interpol have mm-hmm. been given life in prison for receiving funding and um other things from mm-hmm. western agencies so there's a big crackdown right now and and i would say that you know if you look at it jack ma and again, the Carlyle Group is one of the biggest investors in that. Uh, oh. His organization involves the Carlyle Group, uh, several British companies. Um, it's well, not that Chinese. Says it all. That says it all. Yeah. No further questions. <laughs> and that's also a big thing behind social credit. So if people like yeah. get, we're we're given very horrific images of social credit things in the, in yeah. our media. A lot of like mm. narrative framing of like what we're supposed to believe when we see these scary images of like this dystopian nation, uh, society in China mm-hmm. of, of people living in slavery and everyone has a social credit score. Mm-hmm. We are given everything we're being told about that is either an outright lie or a very manipulated set of partial truths whereby mm-hmm. um, the worst thing is Jack Ma, uh, who through his Ali Finance and Alipay, you can opt into, which has about a billion users for Alipay. It's huge. Mm-hmm. They have a social credit score, if but it's a voluntary social credit score that you have to opt into. That then uh, involves you being relegated, like if you if you you know uh, don't pay your loans or don't pay pay back your interest or whatever, your social credit score goes down. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what you say against the government, but that is what Ali- Jack Ma has wanted for the whole of nation. He's wanted yeah. that for all of China. Now China doesn't have a centralized social credit scoring system. It doesn't exist. There mm-hmm. is something for the Chinese elites, like the people in the party do have um, – there is a massive operation right now to bring the part – to purge the party of the deep state. That's why there's 4.6 million people who have been punished or put in jail for being foreign agents. 
Mm-hmm. Some of them have had to escape uh, by going to Singapore, the USA, or Canada is a big one. That's why there's such an influx of Chinese billionaires in Canada. And uh-huh. a lot of Canadians mm-hmm. are are seeing that. They don't understand it, and they just see our housing prices are going up, and they see Chinese billionaires are buying property that they're not living in, causing the prices to rise. And they're thinking, look, this is China trying to destroy us and destroy our economy. And it's like, no, the reason why these Chinese billionaires, there's been 100,000 super rich Chinese leaving China, coming to Canada. The reason why they're not staying in China, because if they stayed there, they would be in jail. They're leaving mm-hmm. to escape and they're being given sanctuary by British Canada operations. And that's and so people forget that, right? So or they don't know how to think about that. That's similar. It appears similar to what happened in London a few years ago with the Russian oligarchs. Uh, buying up all the property in London, right? Yeah, same thing. Same mm-hmm. the Russian, yeah, the the Moscow on the Thames. It's exactly yeah. the same thing to the T. And and for example, uh, occasionally these these Russian oligarchs would have prefer they would have preferred to have stayed in Moscow of the nineties when they got rich, mm-hmm. where they, but they to avoid going to jail. And some of them did go to jail. Um, when Putin came in, Putin said, "Look, you have a choice. You can you can keep doing what you're doing, and go to and and go to jail." <laughs> or you can abide by the new rules we're going to set in. We're going to renationalize things like Russ Atom, Russ Energy, uh, mm-hmm. Russian Railways. We're, you could, and and you could still make money. We'll still mm-hmm. let you make billions of dollars. You could still have a lot, but you're going to now abide by national laws. Yeah. You could do that if you want. We'll, we'll let you do that. Or you'll go to jail. And so some of them said, or we, we'd rather option number three, and we'll take sanctuary in Britain. But then the problem was you you end up now with being in a position where as a billionaire Russian trader, you might be more valuable dead than alive. As Sergei Skripal and uh, Berezovsky discovered, mm-hmm. uh, because it might be more useful to like kill you, blame the Russians now that you're like based in London, and then use that. You're, you're, that's the only purpose or value you have, or this this idiot um, separatist, this this Kalistani. A Sikh separatist in Vancouver who thought he was like totally safe in Canada. Turns out he's he's more useful dead than alive, especially when the oligarchy wants to find an excuse to cut uh, Canada off from India because India has a growth orientation. And the mm-hmm. idea is to sever Western nations from anything in the world that could influence them towards a, a genuine industrial growth orientation. Mm-hmm. And so they have to cut off India. Um, just like they're cutting off China, and it was all done the same way. Like, how did they they do this with India? Just last week, right? They, the CSIS, our Canadian CIA, that's part of the Five Eyes, run by London, the GCHQ and MI6, released an on, an anonymous report that became publicized across all of our press, saying that yeah, the, the Chinese, the Indian government uh, carried out the hit of this Canadian citizen because they hate his his desire for freedom. And that was enough to then just turn the whole population into crazy anti-Indian people now in mm-hmm. Canada um, mm-hmm. and justify the, the cutting off of Canadian business contracts with India. They did the same thing with China. Like it was it was an anonymous CSIS report just in February that was released. No mm-hmm. evidence, but just mm-hmm. simply the anonymous thing itself was sufficient to say, oh, China put their puppet Justin Trudeau in power, the election interference. And that became amplified and amplified, and people stopped asking for evidence because if people like CSIS uh, say it, it must be true. And now the same thing with James Comey, the former head of the FBI, just came out. Who the hell is this guy? He got fired by Trump for being a deep state operative, came out saying, oh, I have evidence that Trump, that Xi Jinping oversaw a check to Joe Biden for $250,000. Uh, 
And now you've got a whole bunch of pro-Trump Republicans supporting Jim James Comey and the deep state saying, yeah, yeah, because they're appealing to their prejudice. They're, yeah. they're profiled. Yeah. And you have the and, and people who are supporting Bannon are also supporting uh, George Soros because George Soros also called for the overthrow of Xi Jinping, just like Bannon did. So yeah. you have a convergence. That's and, um, and, that's MK Ultra at its best, really. More question. Um, like, but, but, but you got very passionate about talking about China, you know? Uh, no, I, I just wonder, it's such a big country, you know, so powerful. Uh, I have never been there, unfortunately. Also, I always felt very close to it. But we, we always read and hear that just normal tourists cannot just move freely in this country, you know, as if everybody who is visiting China is a danger. And and also like uh, like artists, I was looking into Ai Weiwei closer because he had some exhibitions here in Munich and I was giving tours for people in this exhibition. So I was dealing, I was looking a bit more deeper in his, in his life. And I mean, his father was obviously a very famous poet. And then he was just uh, sent to Siberia or, or like, uh, then he had to clean toilets. And that was what uh, uh, I, I was growing up with, you know? Mm. And uh, decades later, there come just uh, an excuse. Oh, sorry, it was, it was an error, you know? It was not true what we, um where sentences you for so but he was he was growing up with with the family situation you know and then he went to to america so he was always critical against the, the state authority and i really liked his the things he, he did you know i really liked his art hmm. and also how he answered to journalists so uh yeah i just um liked him you know and 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 of course he was always um like playing with with the power and i always thought my god i wonder when he gets his hit you know and he got it you know then suddenly he had disappeared for a few years and now he's uh, then he went to berlin and now he's living somewhere else i don't know where he's living now what's but his, i want what what's his name i y y i y y you you don't know him? I've heard of the name, but I've not really looked at his art, so mm -hmm. I'm not too sure. Yeah, nobody knows what to make of him. Um, strange, just strange. He he um, he came to Germany as, and I think he was even an asylum seeker. I'm not quite sure from China, because he said he wanted to um, to flee the oppression in China. But then ultimately, he said it's even worse in Germany, and I think he moved. England or something. <laughs> uh, but but he was he was attacked and he was suddenly then he disappeared and nobody knew where he was. And and I actually I mean he, he made a very interesting art. I mean I, I I looked at this exhibitions very thoroughly because I gave several tours there, you know. <laughs> His name is spelled A I W A. Yeah. A W, I think. A I A I Y E I. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I, I don't know his, his particular story or his art, so I can't speak to that. I'm sorry. That's all right. Okay. We can't know everything. I, I was just wondering because an artist, you know, he's, he's not powerful. Then why cannot a country like China just leave the artists free and the tourists, you know? I'm just looking at his art now. I'm just Googling it. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I've, I've done some work. I don't know. Have you, have you looked at the uh, CIA's art, artistic warfare operation to Germany called the Congress for Cultural Freedom? Have you looked into that? No. Okay. There's a book that I have that I recommend you, you look at. And anybody listening, especially if you're German, highly, highly recommend this book. The Cultural Cold War. CIA and the World of Arts and Letters by Francis Stoner Saunders. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really important book. Um, but you had Alan Dulles and especially, um, oh, it's a big one. When I, when I mentioned that there was a, an obsessive drive by the British oligarchy to destroy the, the Weimar classic and German classical culture, um, the, the most aggressive manifestation of that war against the German classics came in the form of the CIA's Congress for Cultural Freedom after World War II, which was set up in 1945, overseen by Bertrand Russell. Uh, uh, Kirstler was a leading initiator of it, um, as were many former Trotsky or actual active Trotskyists as well, um, who went on to, to become founding members of the neoconservative movement. Uh, very, very, very satanic figures were behind the this thing. And the idea was to do battle with people's spirits and aesthetical judgment, because you can't judge right and wrong if you don't have a sense of beauty and, tr and truth and uh, and ugliness and lies. So if that can be scrambled, if that can be very good. muddled. I've um, never heard this before. Very good. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a wild story, and I mean, it's they Francis Stoner Saunders proves her case really well as well. But if you look at like where does they, they, the idea they wanted to create two cultures, a culture to groom the elites that the elites would live in, uh, and here I'm, I'm talking about a culture of an aesthetical culture, uh, and a culture of mediocrity and a banality for the masses. That would be part of what would be brought online for the Cold War, the emergence of the consumer society model and so they thought it they thought it through and so for the music they started promoting i mean cia money was pouring into things like atonalism you know the idea of of, of creating music that had no rhythm no no harmony it was it was it was ar intentionally arbitrary which is actually a bit of an oxymoron um <laughs> and and they did the same thing in the case of like mark rothko uh mark rothko became a major recipient though i don't even think he knew it the guy who did the blurry, the blurry glowy squares, and um, Jackson Pollock also his his artwork of the splattering paints, uh, they became billions of dollars were poured into patronizing those arts and to become an initiate to become a member Picasso. of the, yeah. Picasso. yeah 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 Picasso he's destroying human bodies and especially female bodies he was destroying the the women and he was destroying. The, uh, in his paintings, the, the bodies. Yeah, this this book here, Picasso, Creator and Destroyer by Arianna Huffington is really good as well. And she she talks exactly, she points out exactly what you did. 
what you just said, because she went in commissioned to write this biography of Picasso, loving Picasso. She was a fan of Picasso. And she said in reading through his, his, his letters, getting to know him, I was horrified to discover that Picasso dis situated his creative process in getting women to adore him like a god and then destroying them to drive them to suicide because he ultimately despised women and humans. Even one of his own sons, he drove to commit suicide. And he found his creative inspiration to paint from that process of destruction. Um, it's sick. I hate Picasso, you know. I really hate him. It's but that's like the thing. I... That's why the oligarchy loves that sort of thing. And that's what they wanted for grooming and conditioning their own elites. They had to create something that would create, like Schiller warned about the barbarian savage thing. They needed a, an elite that would have no heart, no emotional maturation so that they would just be living in a world of ugly art that would then create an an overgrown logical side, like the cyberneticists, the transhumanists, you know? But that overgrown logic, without being balanced by um, the soul, by, by an aesthetical value of loving the good and loving yourself at the same time, creates a disequilibrium that becomes also conducive to um, occultism, because then you become a, a superstitious occultist easily, because the universe is not logical. It's not, it's not purely linear. It's not mathematical. And, and, and you, they are unable to resolve, because they're all logic, they, they can't resolve the fact of the universe's nonlinearity in a reasonable manner, so they become easily uh, um, recruited into occult black magic crap, like Abramovich and other things. Yeah, but you know, that. you know who 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 wrote an, a novel about this whole topic? A very famous Nobel Prize winner, uh, Thomas Mann, Doctor Faustus, is exactly this topic. Yeah, did you ever read Thomas Mann? I, I have a friend in Germany, Irene, who's been uh, uh, pushing me to do so. She's a big Thomas Mann fan, and I I have to do it. Um, but no, I haven't read read his his Faustus, but I have read Goethe's. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think that for sure that this is, and also Christopher Marlowe, the original Dr. Faustus as well. About the music, you know, the eternal music, it's Dr. Mm. Faustus. About the oh, I see. So Thomas Mann directly, directly takes on the atonal music? Mm -hmm. Ooh, oh, that's good. Yeah, I'll read that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And because I, I wrote a, a thing in school, you know, I was 70, I took this, this novel, you know, to write mm. about it. I really would like to know what I wrote then, you know without internet and so, but that's why I know it. Makes, it makes perfect sense uh, how, how, how this kind of art makes the connection with occultism and creates exactly the kind of people who they can use. Um, Marina Abramovich is a perfect example. We were just discussing, Dagma and I and all the others on our team, we were discussing another example, music, not, you know, Marilyn Manson, of course, <laughs> Uh, comes up immediately, but there's a German band by the name of Rammstein. You may have heard of them. Yeah. Very. Yeah, I, I, used to, I used to listen to them a lot in high school. Uh, they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. This is not music, but it's much worse. It's yeah. much worse than that. So we're taking a closer look at what they're doing and what they have been doing. It looks as though some of the stuff that, that seemed to be performances on stage may be real behind the stage or underneath the stage. Oh, like human, like actual sacrifices and stuff. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I think that that's, but see, that's, so that's been part of the, um, 
when you look at Maria Marina Abramovich, she has like this whole performance, modern deconstructive art experience that is part of an MKL. It's essentially MKUltra in the arts in a Obviously. direct fashion. Yeah. Um, of spirit cooking, eating other people, um, cannibalism. Like you're 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 going into some nasty stuff here. And but even the banal stuff. So they they created two arts because that is not supposed to be something. The oligarchy knows that most people that will never be popular. You can't make that popular. So for the, the for the masses, the majority, they have to have things that are banal, like repetitive rhythms, repeatedly intoned, very short music, you know, three, two, three, four minutes max. And that was what was also promoted by Theodore Adorno, who was also part of the Congress for Cultural Freedom Operation. He's also part of the Frankfurt School Operation. But Theodore Adorno, who worked was getting Rockefeller money, Lawrence Rockefeller, the Rockefeller Foundation were, were supporting the Princeton Radio Research Project in the 1930s, 40s, when Adorno was coming in, promoting, generating ideas like the top 40 music and making music banal, taking elements that are catchy, just repeating them in a formula using certain chords that you can repeat and you know add whatever random generic lyrics onto it and make any crap popular through promotion and propaganda which is what they did to many of the music bands. I'm not even going to name them that people have a very strong emotional connection to that came out in the sixties. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You know, I think this is really shit that the Beatles were promoted because you had to have really, uh, these were little uh, small radio stations and young people were sitting there. There was no internet and, and we loved it. I loved it, you know. No, this was you, really... seen, you may have seen, uh, I think this is a, um, I think this is a um, film that was presented by Netflix or something, Laurel Canyon, you know? That's a so, good one. Is that real? I mean, yeah, Laurel, Laurel most Canyon. People, most of these people come from from families from a military background. Yeah, senior uh, songwriters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like Jim Morrison's father yeah. was the admiral in charge of the ship that was supposedly sunk in the Gulf of Tonkin mm -hmm. that never mm -hmm. happened, but he was overseeing yeah. the inside job, just like what Aleister Crowley was doing with the with the Lusitania in World War in 1915. Yeah, that's what Jim Morrison's dad was overseeing. And then all of a sudden his kid goes through some weird experience it with psychiatrists and drugs. God knows what happened to him. And he comes out as Jim Morrison or, uh, you know, Frank Zappa's father and whole family's high level military establishment, the mamas and the papas family. They're, they're kids that came out of a high level military establishment family. EMI Records, which is the British uh, military industrial electronics firm, like oversaw the Beatles, like all of their records. And I mean, I'm not saying I kind of like the individual personalities of some of the Beatles, like like Lennon. I liked him as a person, and I and George Harrison. I think he was kind of an okay person. But when they were when they were going for their photo shoots and told to like, you know, sit down in front of your your publicist, you know, you signed a contract with your record company, and now you have to wear all of these like like severed heads of babies wrapped in blood with like meat all over your body. Yeah, what was that all about? What yeah, it's it? like, I don't think that the Beatles knew, maybe Paul McCartney, maybe, I, I don't trust him, but but I don't think that they fully knew what they were doing, but they were part, like, I don't think most of the artists, a lot of people think, oh yeah, all the artists uh, are all Satanists, because they did that or something, you know? Yeah. I don't think so, because I think that some of them are, some of them mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. but most of them are, are literally just packaged talents that are promoted in order to influence the zeitgeist 
and they're told to do things by contract when they're in the photo studio and the, the, the photographer is telling them, do this, do that. They don't know half the time what the hell they think, but they're part of a ritual that they don't fully understand. Some of them do. Um, as far as Jim Morrison, I don't know if these are like human sacrifices from the family as part of what you need to do to be part of the inner club or not to sacrifice one of your kids. Yeah, and and I don't know, but it's messed up. And I listened to the Beatles like Maxwell Silver Hammer came down on his head song of like the story of the sociopathic kid that just killed his mom, his dad, his, his girlfriend, his teacher. You know, that's what part, Paul McCartney thought that that was his most important song. Right? It's like, what are you doing? What, Why would you? What song was this? What song? Oh, you got to If you have go to YouTube and type Bang Bang Maxwell Silver Hammer Beatles. And get ready to be horrified. <laughs> it's so bad. But there's a lot of things like that, you know, or they're 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 homage to uh yes, Alistair also Crowley. Delilah, Delilah from Tom Jones, you know, it's about uh, killing a woman because she she had a lover. Not Tom Most... Jones too. Oh no, I didn't know that. Uh, Tom that's... Jones, Delilah. <laughs> well, that's too bad, eh? Well, that's, so that's all the thing, right? And, you know, you get the Beatles also like doing an homage with Aleister Crowley, who's 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 there on the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album, you know, and the first the first tract is an homage to 20 years ago today. And it's 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 a song in homage to the death of of Aleister, the 20th anniversary of Aleister Crowley's death. Um, did they write that? I don't know. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, are the Beatles all evil? I don't know. I maybe not. But all, what I can say is that was part of a satanic operation to to in, to weaken the culture and make us more inclined to lose to to not be able to appreciate the difference between like you know uh, I see a red door and I want to paint it black, which is a very catchy song, versus like Mozart's Requiem or like Bach's. Uh, preludes and fugues or you know like just it's a different you have to be in a different place mentally and spiritually to appreciate the 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 great masterpieces of music that that came out of Schumann and 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 Brahms and and, and Mozart and Bach versus you know what was done with the banality or the elite culture of 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 the cult of ugliness that they had to create through abstract art atonalism other things Look at the ugly buildings that were produced in the in the sixties and seventies as well, especially the seventies. What a disaster! Um, a lot of it had. I was, I was I was going mainly to Beethoven concerts when I was fifteen, sixteen. I never was at at a big uh, one of these big concerts, you know, these hippie concerts. I've never been there. Funny, looking back, I'm just wondering, you know. I was mainly in classical, and I was listening to French uh, chansons, you know. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I guess you had something that was just trying to keep your soul safe. I I I I was totally immersed in in so, in so much of this stuff. Uh, yeah. At any rate, uh we I think we did a pretty good job at at least uh getting people to get interested in taking a closer look at what we're being told about China and what may be really going on in China. Same with Russia. I tend to, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm, opt, I'm, I'm an optimist, op, obviously, or else I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But um, I tend to agree with you. Um, this is a, for the time being, the BRICS countries offer us a really good way out of the death cult. Very simple. Very simple. Let's go for it. And, yeah. and you know, just to say, 
it could it could be poisoned, right? Anything that anything can be corrupted. You'll so see. it could become a gateway towards evil if we're stupid and we we don't uh, educate ourselves on the lessons of history. Sure, that's possible in the in the coming years. Or it could be a gateway towards fulfilling the objectives that were put forth with the American Revolution to liberate all of humankind from the systems of hereditary power, which never was fulfilled. That could be also what we what we uh, manifest here. It could go either way, but it's subjective. It's upon all of our hearts and minds to carry that that um, responsibility and and not wait for some superhero faction of white hats necessarily to come by and and save us. Um, but I would say that I don't think that it is possible to defeat the oligarchy and defend the nation state system as a sovereign because that's what the oligarchies really wanted to do is is get rid of the sovereign nation state system um i don't think we can do that in the west were it not for the successful fight of collaborative agencies in eurasia that were also doing battle using the power of the nation state um to defend their people from this death cult without that i don't think we would have too much to work with so i i would just have that as context because a lot of people they lose sight of the global chemistry and they get too focused on their own little part of the world and they and it doesn't work that way so that's that's my only word of caution i would throw out yeah and also we the, the one thing that we always have to keep in mind after the after at least what i have experienced over unlike you who if you want to call it that, woke up in, in 2004, um, I always had my uh, reservations about the legal system. I always knew something is terribly wrong in the German legal system. But I only woke up, if you want to call it that, uh, because of the pandemic. That's what prompted me to take a closer look. And through, um, uh, through a couple of interviews I did, I realized that, of course, Kant was right. We must use our own reasoning. We must not take anything um, at face value, especially after what we've learned over the last three and a half years that comes from the mainstream media, the, the politicians, um, the so-called scientists. We have to be able to make up our own minds, continue to take a close look, listen carefully to see what's really going on, not just look at the, at the stuff that they're presenting to us. I think that's that's another good word of caution. Question everything. Yeah, amen. amen. Okay. Well, Matthew, thank you so much. This was great. I think our viewers will enjoy this, and I hope our viewers will take a closer look at the things that appear so glib. You know, it's so easy to say, yeah, China is a bad. They're playing good cop, bad cop. Um, well, it's not quite that easy. This yeah. is what everybody should have learned from that. I hope so.